Wow. Wow, 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 wow. Couple of, uh, couple of good-looking young girls there, wouldn't you say? Can I have somebody get my podium? I don't know if anybody's back there. Good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing this morning? Welcome to uh, Connect Community Church. My name is Pastor Derek, if you don't know who I am, and uh, it's, a, it's a privilege to be with you this morning in our second service, but we're also in the second part of a series entitled Remix. Everybody say Remix. Remix. Do your name, just go waka, waka, waka to your neighbor, you know. So we're going to take, uh, we're going to take a song, we're taking songs from culture each and every week, and we are leveraging them to communicate a Christ-centered message. In other words, uh, Jesus, of course, was the best teacher of all, and he was so relevant, and he would talk about things that everybody could connect with and relate to. He would connect with his audience. He would connect uh, with personal information that, you know, people were able to kind of apply to their everyday lives. And so what's funny today is in church, a lot of times in churches, we're afraid of culture instead of being able to leverage culture and being able to use culture for the advantage that it provides. And so we're taking these songs each and every week. You don't want to miss next week. It's the culmination. It's going to be big. It's going to be, you know, big band. It's going to be, it's going to be a monster song, so you don't want to miss next week. Who's going to bring somebody next week? Come on, turn to your neighbor and say, I'm bringing somebody, okay? All right, I'm telling you. I'm telling you. Uh, just a hint. It might be 80s. I don't know. It might be 80s music. Uh, just, just a hint. Anyway, um, so you can get your worship guide out. You can follow along with us on version as well. Uh, we believe that note takers are... History makers. I want to welcome our online audience, uh, cable and web viewers. Thank you for being with us as well, reaching people beyond the four walls of this church. We're grateful to have you. This song, Uncover, actually it has a positive message to it. When I first listened to the lyrics, I thought it was saying something else, but it's really saying that sometimes we, we want to express our love, but we hold it back. But there's some lyrics in it that kind of make you feel like there's a cover-up. You know, it's a secret relationship. It's, a, you know, it's kind of a something covert going on. And so I'm going to play off of that idea this morning and kind of talk. The message is called Uncover, but the idea is that everything that is covered up will eventually be uncovered. This is going to have a strong tone to it today. So let me just say this if you're a guest. If you're new to Connect, when you, when you come to Connect, we take, uh, when we, we use the Bible as the frame and foundation for everything that we communicate. So the scriptures are always going to be paramount in everything that we say and everything we do. The Bible is cool, not just for the redemptive narrative within it, the story of Christ and come to save the world. The Bible's not just cool because of the historical value of it, but the Bible is amazing because of the practical wisdom that's inside of it. Can I have an amen? And so sometimes we see patterns and principles within the scripture that are relevant to us today. The scriptures are timeless truths. They don't go away. They're not like for way back when. They're for the here and now. Amen? And so as your guest, if you're here for the first time, that's kind of what we're doing. So we take certain topics and then we look at them through the lens of scripture and apply them to our life. Today I'm going to talk about David. One of my favorite characters in the Bible of all time is David. Um, many of you know kind of two probably characters most closely associated with David, uh, one being Goliath, okay? And so he was that, that the story of David and Goliath, the victorious champion over the giant, and that was one of our greatest childhood memories and stories in the Bible. If you haven't heard that, uh, read that story before, you've got to go into your Bible and check that out. It's amazing. 
But the one that kind of didn't maybe pump us up as much, but maybe scared us a little bit, the, one, the former one was more something we loved as a kid, but this one is one we're more scared of as an adult, is the story of David and Bathsheba. Now, Bathsheba and David had an adulterous uh, affair. Uh, you know, she was uh, rub-a-dub-dubbing, scrubbing in the tub, and uh, he was out on his roof one night and saw her there. And this story uh, has been taught many, many, many times by preachers like myself, from a certain perspective or a certain angle. And, you know, if you were to summarize kind of what it's all about, basically, if you're a man, keep your day job. You know what I mean? If uh, you make sure that uh, you don't go out on the roof at night, uh, be careful where you park your jacuzzi, like things like that are basically what this message is all about. All right? And, and you see, though, patterns inside this story taken from uh, 2 Samuel chapter 11, where you see the cycle of sin. And, and I'll just highlight it quickly, but basically sin, you know, a lot of times we see the end result. We see the implications and ramifications of sin. Uh, we see the encounter of sin, but sometimes we don't see the, what preceded sin. A lot of times it's thoughts that become words that become deeds. Thoughts, words, deeds. And, and if you see this story, you see there was this lure, there was this kind of look, there was lust. And, 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 and James, the book of James talks about this. And in chapter 1, um, verse 14, it talks about, you know, a man is tempted by his own evil desires that are going on inside of us. Temptation is not a sin. Giving into temptation is a sin. But we all are tempted. Jesus was tempted. Yes or no? But he never crossed the line. But, but when we're tempted and we cross that line, it's because of our own evil desires. When we give into that, when, when that sin is conceived, it says, and when sin is full grown, it gives birth to death or destruction. So there's this pattern or process, or even you could say path, that if we keep going down this road, it gets worse and worse and worse and worse if we go down this road. But I'm not going to talk about that. So what I want to talk about a little bit today, even though that's a great message, is I want to talk about not so much how he got there, but what happened after he sinned, the after. Uh, we're not going to look so much at the adultery necessarily, although we'll highlight parts of that, not so much the dirty fling that was going on here, but I want to talk to you about the incredible cover-up, the cover-up. We've all seen it. We've all done it in different parts, in different places and stages in our life. But there's an incredible cover-up that cost many, many people greatly. Some messages that I give um, will have a prophetic uh, element to it. Now, I didn't say pathetic. I said prophetic. <laughs> Meaning it might be something for you for the future. A warning for you. A kind of like, hey, pay attention, pay attention, pay attention. Maybe I'm, I'm, I'm steps away from falling or failing. And so I really am asking the Spirit. I've already asked, but I'm asking again publicly the Spirit of God to speak to some of you. Because this could be why you're in church. Sometimes we go to church, we get our ears tickled and our bellies full. But sometimes you need to put a little muscle on. Turn to your neighbor and say, yeah, come on. Give me a little like, you know what I mean? A little bicep pose or a pec pop or something. Okay, so sometimes you just, this is a little bit of a muscle message, okay? Is everybody with me? So, so here's the deal. This, this cover-up was a big deal. David came from and was, came from a great family, great lineage. He was a great man. At this particular point in his life, um, you know, he, had done, he, he, was, he was seen by God as a man after God's own heart. He was a warrior and he was a worshiper. 
Uh, he, he was the person who could be found, you know, in, in, in the valleys making music and playing music unto God. He was, we know him as a minstrel and as a worship leader. We know him as a mighty warrior. This same man who we admire, who God looked at this way, murdered someone. And then he covered it up. And for some of us, we might think, you know, um, you know, how did he do that? You know, how did somebody, if he can fall, anybody can fall. That's how I look at it. I look at it and think, if a guy like that could stumble, I could stumble. In fact, if you don't think so, the Bible says, if you, if you think you're standing firm, be careful, lest you fall, you know? And so we don't want to think of ourselves more highly than we ought, otherwise we can fall, because the Bible says, pride precedeth the fall. So we all know that it's possible to sin. I, hopefully we realize that. Hopefully we realize that, um, you know, we're all susceptible to temptation. But I think sometimes what we don't think we could do is what he did after. This incredible cover-up, this incredible plan that he, that he con contrived. But to think, you know, that, that he could get to a place where he's so deceived in his thinking, that he, that he was so slick, he was so clever, he was so intelligent and powerful, that he could somehow cover this whole thing up and everything end up okay with no consequences or ramifications. That's, that's, that's the part we're going to talk about. Here's the bottom line of this message. You and I believe sometimes and I, that regardless of what we've done, what, what you do, that you sometimes are capable. I am capable, smart enough, I guess, powerful enough, maybe, uh, you know, intelligent enough to orchestrate, in some cases, maybe even wealthy enough to cover our tracks and no one will find out about our sin. That's what I want to talk about. Is everybody tracking with what I want to talk about? Because here's the thing, we, we believe sometimes that we can do that in such a way, and deep in our heart, believe there will be no consequences for that. Like, the, 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 every bondage, every slavery of our life is built on a lie. Every slavery, every bondage in our life is built on a lie. I'm, I'm trying to expose a lie, really, this morning. Because you also believe that somehow whatever inner turmoil you have, guilt, shame, blame, whatever, that you can deal with that too. We've assumed certain things and presumed certain things, but I want to show you the consequences of those because we believe that the consequences we see outside far outweigh the consequences that sometimes we feel inside. So 2 Samuel 11, if you want to read with me, I'm going to look at several verses and paraphrase some. This, uh, this basically starts like this. In context, is David is now king and... He's a great king. He's very established. He's been successful in many campaigns or battles. Um, so many he can't even count. And um, he's decided for some reason to take a break from all, from all these campaigns and battles. And he's decided to stay home. So here's what it says in 2 Samuel 11, 1 and following. It happened in the spring of the year at the time when kings go out to battle. In other words, when we normally go to battle. We don't do it in the winter. We do it in the spring. I wish we could arrange our wars like that now. Anyway, David sent Joab. Can we just talk about that in the spring? Um, anyway, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the people of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. Now, just look at me for a second. So when the time and season when kings normally go off to war, what happened? David stayed behind. Okay, and so this is something that I think you need to know depending on where you're at in your life. One of the things we try to do at Connect is help people figure out what are you created to do? Why am I here? E equals what's my purpose? What's, 
<coughs> excuse me, what's my purpose? And when you discover your purpose, you will find significance. That's awesome, and that's totally true. Good point, Pastor. But the other part of purpose is purpose protects. Okay? So when you're functioning, following your purpose, it will keep you from sin. Purpose protects. Purpose protects. David wasn't doing that. So he wasn't, he was a warrior. He was a warrior. He was a man of blood. If you study his whole lifeline, you will see there were certain things that he was created to do. And one of those was as a warrior. Then in verse 2 it says, Then it happened one evening that David rose from his bed and walked on the roof of the king's house. No, no it didn't. It didn't just happen. There's some things. Oh, I think I'll just get out of bed in the middle of the night. And I'm going to go out onto my roof. Perhaps. There'd be a naked woman there in the jacuzzi. Did that just happen? No, there's a lot of things in here that we cannot, um, we, we have to see and glean from uh, his, history. We have to see from other writings. But let me just tell you, for the most part, what was the tradition was for people to bathe on their roofs at night. Because it was discreet, because it was cool, because it was the end of the day. There were certain ceremonial things that they did too where that had to be done before they even went to bed. Things like that. And based on your affluence and or influence, you would have your, the size of your home would, would be determined or would, would determine your affluence. And so some people's houses stood higher. So when you're the king, how many know your house stood the highest? Okay. And so, so this isn't just happened, okay? So there's a, little bit, there's a little bit more going on here. So then it happened one evening that David arose from his bed and walked on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful to behold. So here's where he begins to look, and here's where he begins to lust. And then it takes then that thought, and then it becomes word. Thought, remember the pattern of sin, word. So David sent and inquired about the woman. I want to know about her. Who is she? And then they give a response. She's married to Uriah. Okay, that didn't seem to deter him because what happened is, because of his own evil desires, he gave into that, sin now is conceived, and then it says it gives birth to sin, and sin when it is fully grown. So the sin is growing inside of him. This thing is growing inside of him, so, he, so that he wasn't even deterred by the warning of a married woman. That's how big this thing is. Then verse 4, it says, then David sent messengers, now deed. Thought, word, deed. You can see that in verse 1. You can see it in verse 2, and now in verse 4. Then David sent messengers and took her. It's good, if you're a preacher, this is a good way to... How you outline messages. Then David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him, and he lay with her, for she was cleansed from her impurity, and she returned to her house. Okay, so one through four, you see the big scandal uh, is, is afoot here. And uh, David, of course, messes up. Bathsheba messes up. And what happens when we mess up? We immediately, if we're Christ followers, we're like, oh, my gosh, what have I done? You know, I can't even believe I've done this. Oh, my gosh, she's a married woman. You know, and, 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 and maybe Bathsheba's thinking, I mean, what have I done? I mean, I've slept with the king. I mean, he is handsome. And how do you refuse the king? But, but I slept with the king. I'm married. And God, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Now, sometimes people, when they're in this situation, are sorry because they're caught. Right? They're sorry because they're caught. 
And I think that's what's going on here in David's situation. Now, there's times in our life when we're caught and we're actually genuinely sorry, but the fruit of our repentance will reveal that we're actually sorry in the first place. So don't assume just because somebody's caught that they're not sorry. The fruit of what happens after that will determine whether they were sorry or not. Does that make sense? Sometimes there's an assumption that's wrong about that. But, but, but so they, they go through this cycle of repentance. But what happens is uh, David doesn't do uh, a, a 180 here. He does a 360. He doesn't turn and change and make things right in the situation. Instead, he does a 360. And, and, and you need to know, just as a sidebar, that you're going to be in a situation at some point in your life where you have a room with a view. You're going to be in a situation at some point in your life where there's a scene, there's a scenario, there's a situation where you're going to be tempted. And we need to prepare for those moments of temptation before they happen. We need to predetermine how we're going to handle those situations before they happen. And I'm just saying to you as a man of the cloth or a professional Christian or whatever you want, you want to think about what I do. But I have deterrence in my life. I have certain practices in my marriage and things like that. But the devil will always try to tempt people. And you have to be prepared practically and you have to be prepared spiritually because you will have a day with a room with a view. And it may not be the same exact scenario or the same situation or the same sin, but are you ready for those days when that happens? And David was not. In verse 5, I won't, I'll just paraphrase this, but basically, no surprise, there's a consequence for their, for their sin, and she is pregnant. And she comes to him, she's conceived, and now she's pregnant. And some of you have been in situations where you've messed up, but it seems like there was no consequence. Others have been in situations where there was immediate consequences. My feeling about that is this. You might not see the consequences, but they're there. Others, they're more visible. In fact, 1 Timothy chapter 5 says that some people's sins trip them up. Others trail behind. If you ha look it up, 1 Timothy 5, some sins trip you up. Some sins trail behind. Promise you this. You want them to trip you up. You don't want them to trail behind. Because if they trail behind, you pay later greater. This is some really good preaching. <laughs> I'm going to give myself an offering this morning. So, so, so what I'm trying to say to you is when you're looking at a situation, it looks like there's no consequences. There are consequences. But sometimes the consequences are very visible. In this case, they were visible right away. And some of you have been there. So David finds himself in a position that you and I have been in. And before you realize it, you've you, you, you blown it. And you're at a crossroads. You're at an intersection of character. An intersection where you're going to test the fortitude of your faith, you're going to test who you really are in Christ. And you can do one of two things in this situation, and this is our challenge. I think this is in your notes. Like David, we all come to a similar crossroads in similar times in our life where we must choose to confess or conceal. Confess or conceal. Everybody say that. Confess or conceal. Now, you might have, like I have accountability partners or people in my life where they know my whole story. Soup to nuts. And, and, and so they can ask me certain questions about my life to keep me on the right path. Because I, I want to protect uh, what, this, my soul. I want to protect my marriage. I want to protect my family, my legacy, the ministry. You know, the, the cornerstone of this, of this ministry is not public. It's, it's, it's private. In other words, people ultimately don't follow because of what they see publicly. They follow because of what they see behind the scenes. Yes or no? Yes. Initially, sure, attracted to, to this, that, the other. Worship's awesome. The pastor's funny. But they want to, does your marriage work? Do, do, you, do your kids love God? 
You know, that's what you want. That's what the Bible tells us. If you can't rule your family, you can't rule God's church. So, so what do I do? i got to have accountability. So in those accountability moments, when things are good, I hope they ask me the questions I gave them permission to ask me because I feel good about myself. But when things are bad, I pray they don't ask me those questions. And when, and oftentimes those questions come, and it's in those places that I'm at a crossroads, will I conceal or will I confess? You might have situations in your life where you have a choice. You might be a, a young person, and your parents have told you, I don't want you hanging around with those kids. You know, and, and by the way, that's not judgmental. That's just good judgment. Parents, can I have an amen out there from some parents? Like, it's crazy today. Like, oh, it's so judgmental. No, it's just good judgment. You know, just, sometimes there's just, you know, because bad company corrupts good character. That's about 1 Corinthians 15, 33. So they tell you you shouldn't do that. You agree to do that as a young person. But then shortly thereafter, it seems like they're, these people come at you and they want to spend time with you and they're pursuing you and they're texting you and they're social media, you know, messaging you and all these different things. And before you know it, you're connecting with them. And then your parents ask you, you're at a crossroads. Will you conceal or will you confess? Maybe you have an addictive background, some kind of addiction in your past, and you've been sober for many, many, many years, but you got into a situation, you got into a scenario where temptation came and you crossed the line once, twice, three times a lady. Sorry. <laughs> Just got to make sure everybody's with me. And you think it's no big deal. You think it's no big deal. Nobody's going to know. It's no big deal. But then a friend comes around, maybe a voice or messenger from God disguised as a friend. And they come to you and say, hey, something's wrong with you. What's going on? Have you been? Hey, have you been? And you have a choice. Will you confess or will you conceal? Maybe you're in a situation as egregious as what, as what David was in with Bathsheba. And statistically, to sober up the room real quickly, statistically, it's very High probability that many, many people in this room are, have had or are in an adulterous relationship, which shocks me because numbers don't lie. Maybe you've been questioned, and I've been front row with many, many, many couples and given them the opportunity to come clean, and they went only to find out that they should have because they were hiding and concealing something. And the damage was so much greater later because some sins trail behind and some trip up. I'd rather be tripped than have my sin trail behind. At this moment, like David, the consequences of confessing outweighed the consequences of concealing. In David's case, what should he have done? Well, maybe he should have convened the, the elders and leaders of, uh, uh, of, of the kingdom and pulled them in and said, hey, guys, this is what happened. I've messed up. I know what the law says. Somebody's got to die according to law, but I'm the king. I don't know what to do. I submit this to you. Or maybe he should have called Uriah and said, can we have a meeting? I need to talk to you. I need to tell you something. I've really messed up. And can we have a prophet there, please, to just kind of back me up a little bit? And, and no, he didn't do that. He didn't do that. Unfortunately, he covered it up, and things got way, way, way worse. And, and, and that's what happens when you cover it up. It only gets worse. My wife and I have, a, have very close friends, and this is a personal story that I have to be cautious, A, to not tell too much, and B, not to tell too much because I'll get emotional. But we have very close friends who were there for us in our marriage in some of our troubled times early on. And I don't know what we would have done without them. And we, we were struggling with certain things, not this, but we were struggling with certain things, and we talked to them, and we, and we opened up with them, and they helped us tremendously. And, and years and years later, the relationship 
grew and grew and grew. And then in the, kind of the latter few years, there was a drift. Something was off. And one day we, we get a call. And the marriage is blown up. And there was one infidelity. And then there was a reaction to that infidelity. And just the whole thing spiraled out of control. Marriage is over. And the first thing I can think of is, why didn't you say something? Why didn't you tell me? Why didn't you come out? And, and uh, we're looking at the damage, and we're looking at the shrap metal around them on the peripheral, and so many people that they had impacted. And, and, and just as an aside, by the way, when, when, just as, as it relates to adultery, when adultery takes place and when it's committed, it's always started beforehand. Before it manifests on the surface, whatever happened physically or manifest physically was practiced mentally many, 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 many times. That's why it's so important to be in church. That's why it's so important to be in a small group because this is where you are getting strong relationships to hold fast the profession of your faith. This is where you are receiving the word of God which continues to renew your mind and even provoke and poke under the unction of the Holy Spirit those areas of your life where you can drift and you can fall off track. Is everybody with me? Because if you and because they, they got out of church and they had no relationships in their life and the ones that they had were very far away, lifelines very far away, and they didn't reach out to them either. And they became prey to what anybody could become prey to, no matter how long you've been married. Twenty-five years they'd been married. Many kids. David thought that if he does this this whole thing, this cover up or whatever, that he could go back to the way things were. That somehow at the end of the road, he'd get a congratulations, you've reached the end of the road, and, and it's over now. Well, that's not what happened. He believed he could control the outcomes of his behavior because he's king. Here's a thought. We're tempted every day to believe that the best way to deal with our problem is actually uh, to sin some more. We believe we can control the outcomes. David, what did he do? His progressive cover-up plan. Look at it. If you look at it and study it on your own, I'll paraphrase this. But in verse 6, he calls Uriah home from the battlefield. Uriah's out there doing what Uriah is supposed to be doing. David calls him back and, and, and basically tries to kind of, you're doing a great job, kid. You know what I want to do? I want to reward you. Why don't you go spend some time with your wife? Go, go, go be with her. And he's thinking if, he, if he's with her, he'll have an alibi now that she's pregnant. Oh, but Uriah doesn't do it. Uriah is basically more a man of character than David was, and David finds out that he doesn't sleep with his wife. In fact, he sleeps with David's servants. David's so frustrated. So plan A doesn't work. Plan B is employed. Plan B is, I'm going to have a party, Uriah, in your honor. I'd like you to come. We're going to have a big banquet. I want you to show up. And then he gets Uriah drunk. He gets him totally smashed. And then he says, why don't you go home, be with your wife. Go get her, tiger. You know? Uriah doesn't do it. Even in that state, his character is so strong. Again, he spends the night with David and his servants. Plan B does not work. Plan C, as you can see, what happens in these situations to confess or conceal, the confessions get more difficult as you continue to traverse down the path of sin. In other words, now he not only has to say, I slept with your wife, she's pregnant, but I called you back to battle to try to cover it up with an alibi. I, not, I got you drunk and hoped you'd go, and now you won't. And so the thing has to get even greater. So he goes down the path of even greater sin. So what does he do? He decides to send them back into battle, into the fiercest places of the war. And he says, he sends Uriah back. He gives him a letter. He says, hey, hope you enjoyed your visit. I'm sending you back. He sends him with a letter. On the letter... It's, it's, it's supposed to be sent to Joab, who's the captain of the guard. It says, put him in the fiercest place of the battle and then retreat from him so he dies. 
So Uriah carries his own death warrant to Joab. Is that a cover-up or what? Look at how escalated this cover-up has begun. And so what happens is this. It finally works. Uriah is killed and several servants around him are killed because of David's sin. David seemingly seems free. His plans seemingly work perfectly. And then he waits for Bathsheba to mourn for just a little bit. And she does. She mourns as she hears about the death of her husband. And just long, just a little bit of cry. And then David goes to get her and call him to himself, marry her to cover up what happened. In verse 27 of 2 Samuel 11, it says, And when her mourning was over, David sent and brought her to his house. And she became his wife and bore him a son. Listen to this, though. But the thing that David had done displeased, what? The Lord. So what was not naked and open to us is naked and open to God. The Bible says that everything we do is naked and open before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. All of us, in an ultimate sense, if not in this life, but in the life to come, will give an account for everything that we've done, whether good or bad, according to Luke chapter 12, verse 2. In multiple places, Ecclesiastes 4, we're going to have to give an account. I want to give an account now so that the account that I give later won't be greater. So that the imputed righteousness of Jesus will cover my sin now because if I don't allow his righteous life to cover my sin now, then I'm going to have to pay for my sins later. And how many know nobody wants to do that, right? So there's incentive to confess and not to conceal. But David thought he got away with it, but he didn't because now the Lord shows up. And sometimes in the patterns of our life, in the process of the paths of our life, we think we're getting away from it because um, we're able to kind of orchestrate the circumstances. But God was trying to speak to David. He was trying to speak to him in a still small voice. He tried to warn him, this, 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 this woman, she's married. I think that was God speaking, but he ignored it. And then finally, God himself speaks to him through the prophet Nathan, through a prophetic personality. Sometimes that happens in your life. God's trying to get your attention through the still small voice of the Holy Spirit. But what do we do? Woo, we turn down the volume. And so then God will send a person. That person may not come in the packaging that you like, gentlemen. It might be your wife. And she might have a little salsa in her like my wife does. And so, and so it can be strong. Sometimes it might not even be a Christian. It might not even be a Christian. And they're telling you something to try to save you. But, but Nathan comes, the prophet comes with a rebuke, and he tells a story. And the story gets David's attention, and David's all fired up. And Nathan says, you're the guy in the story. You're the guy. You're the guy. You know what David, you know, you know what David covered up? In covering his sin... This is what happened. He lost more than he could have ever imagined. He thought he was gaining, but he was losing. He didn't realize it at first, but there were consequences to the cover-up of his sin with Bathsheba. It actually, if you follow his life and all the way out, it cost him his firstborn with he and Bathsheba, the very next chapter. If you see uh, his three sons, Ammon, uh, Amnon, I think is how you say it, and also um, uh, uh, sorry, Absalom, he lost three sons. He lost his reputation. As, as just this godly king, the respect of his leaders because of what he did. Can you imagine how Joab felt? No, he wasn't too happy about what was going on there. So, so there were consequences for his sin. Later, later, I think, if he could, if he could have warned us, he would say, yeah, I made a big mistake with Bathsheba, but my bigger mistake was I covered it up. Is you guys getting this? See, sometimes we focus on... The, the, the infraction, we focus on the independent sin, and we think, oh, that's the big thing. No, the big thing is what you did after that. 
A righteous man falls seven times and rises again. Bad people will make mistakes. People will fall. The thing is, what do you do? How do you get back up? How do you respond to your mistakes? And so it cost him greatly. The cover-up was the worst part. But why is this so hard? Write this down. We struggle with confession because of fear, insecurity, and pride. We're afraid. We're afraid we're going to be rejected. We're afraid if you knew the real me, you wouldn't like me. We're, we're afraid. We're insecure. Uh, but I think for me, I don't know what it is for you, I think pride's the big one. I think pride's the big one. I think, I think David, because he was king, he was top of the food chain. I can't lose all this that I have. I can't lose all the respect that I have. They won't respect me anymore. They won't see me the same way. I think that's one that I, that I tried to almost intentionally put myself out there a little bit, almost on the edge of indiscretion because I don't want pride to take me down. These emotions fool us into thinking we can cover up and it's worth it to do so. So we conceal and we cover up and we think that we believe a lie. Every, again, bondage, every slavery of our life is built on these lies. And so the lie that deceit and sin is the best antidote for deceit and sin is the lie. We think we can start over. The price, though, is painful. And if you look at David's life and if you look at your own life, the place that you pay the biggest price is in relationships. You might want to write that down in the margins of your notes, but the place you pay the biggest price for covering up is in relationships. His sons had no association with the sin with Bathsheba, but they were the shrap metal of the response to the sin with Bathsheba. Regardless of what you're covering up, you will always pay relationally. Your wife may never find out, sir. Your children may never know. Your boss may never know what you did. Your friend may never know what you did. But there's still a consequence for those things. Whatever it is uncovered, when you carry that secret, you're only as sick as your secrets. And it sickens every situation and relationship in your life. The price is so high because deceit, which is a cover-up, and true intimacy, which is the uncovered life, cannot coexist in the same soul. That's in your notes. But deceit, which is, the, which is the covered up life, the fig leaf life, and true intimacy, which is the uncovered, naked, true you. God created you so those, co those two things cannot coexist in the same soul. Intimacy is when, is when somebody knows the real you and loves you. That's how Jesus is towards you. He's, he's, he knows everything about you, everything that you've done, everything you ever will do, he knows. And yet he still came and died for you. He still loves you. He's pursuing you. Amen. He's pursuing you right now. He's pursuing you through his word. He's pursuing you through relationships. He's even leveraging circumstances because of his great love for you. But he wants you to be real. He wants you to be sincere. He wants you to be honest. He wants you to experience true intimacy because he knows that's what you need most. But you'll never experience intimacy on any level if you're not allowing yourself to be known by another person, a man, a woman, you know, God himself. But both, really, because he created you that way. It's only when you're known. We actually try to do things that connect. Fundamentally, what we try to help people that connect is in two things. They feel needed and they feel known. That's our quest. Because when you feel known, you have that sense of belonging. You have that sense of community, that sense of acceptance. There's security. There's intimacy. When you feel needed, that's the part of purpose and making a difference. Because people want to go to bed at night knowing that I just, I didn't swing an axe on the backside. And nothing happened. I need to see some trees fall. 
and some chips fly. And so we need to help people feel needed, but we want people to feel known, that they can be loved. But when you conceal something, it's like a splinter under your fingernail. It's a wedge, and it's, it's there, and as small as it seems to you, it's creating a big problem in your life because your soul longs for true intimacy. And there are people in this room that have concealed things and have faced the consequences of that which was concealed. And if given the opportunity, they would shout from this platform and tell you, get it out. Confession is always better than concealing. But you're afraid sometimes that if they knew, if he knew, if she knew, if they knew the truth, they would pull away. But you know what? A lot of times when we confess, the opposite of what we think is going to happen happens. We actually get respect. We actually get, we actually get, uh, in, we gain influence instead of lose it. Because you're, you're setting yourself free, but you're actually setting them free in the process. Is everybody with me? Yeah. Intimacy requires that we don't cover up. That's why God in the garden was just like, who told you you were naked? The first response, though, to their sin was to cover up. We have to fight that first response, that default, and actually uncover, uncover, be transparent, and be real, and not cover up. Amen? The good news is that you have a God who sent his son into the world while you were yet sinners. Christ died for you. While you were, in one translation it says, yet in your sin. He covered all of that. He covers your sins. As far as the east is from the west, he removes them. And he sets them into the sea of forgetfulness. If by grace through faith you will confess Jesus as your Savior and Lord, you can have that uh, blood-bought, blood-washed, pure, white, snow life. Basically what that means is you can be cleansed before God because of what Jesus did for you. But you have to confess your sins in order for that to happen. You can receive the forgiveness that he has for you. Amen? Confession is the key to that. That's there for you. He covered your sin. He embraces you the way you are. So what's the way back? You've got to confess. You've got to repent. You've got to to be willing to make restitution. Confession is saying, I'll tell the truth. I'm going to find that person that I need to confess to, and I'm going to confess to them and say I'm sorry to them specifically. It's amazing how many people don't know how to say they're sorry. They are sorry, but they won't say it which is really not being sorry. Some people say, you know, I'm changing. Well, you're not changing until you've changed. So you're not sorry till you said you're sorry. So we need to confess, and then we need to repent. Repent means what? Repent means I don't say I'm sorry, and then I go right back and do exactly what I did. That's a 360. Repentance is a 180. It's saying I was going this way. I'm not going that way anymore. I'm going this way. I'm going God's way now. And this is the part that sometimes stops the cycle, though. I get that. I'll confess. I'm willing to do that and humble myself. It's hard, but I will. Some people are willing to do that. Some people are willing to really repent and stop doing it anymore. But some people won't go down the whole process because they're not willing to face the consequences. That's the part where restitution comes in. And this is where, and this is the tough part because you don't see the win. Because restitution might mean you lose your spouse to have a clear conscience. You might lose something. You might, it might cost you your job to get out of that adulterous environment. It might mean you get kicked out of the house because you told them what you did and what happened. It might mean they break up with you. It might mean they call off the engagement. That's why I can't do it. And that's why you don't confess. And that's why you don't repent. Because you're not willing to face 
the consequences and make restitution. Confession is like surgery, though. Going in, ah, nobody likes to go to surgery. But coming out, how many know you feel like my life was saved? I didn't want to go. I was in surgery in 2012, and trust me, I didn't want to be in there. But, man, I look back, and I, so many ways I think it was the best thing that ever happened to me. I made certain life changes and, and, and lifestyle changes, and I see life differently, and I see hospitals differently, and I like doctors now. <laughs> so, so confession, it's, it's, it, it's good for the soul, maybe bad for your reputation, as some people say, but, but it's, it's healthy for you. It's so much better than concealing. And, and you don't know that what God can do on the other side of it if you're willing to face the consequences, willing to face and maybe make restitution. Years ago, as I share a personal story, my wife and I were students at ORU. We weren't married. We were dating. This may be a shocker for some of you, but I'm just going to have a real moment. Can you handle that? We were in an intimate relationship outside of marriage. And Stacy got pregnant. She conceived. And that was a really tough time for us because we were Christians. We were Christian leaders. We were in a Christian school. And we had signed, we had signed a Christian honor code, a code of conduct. And the conduct, the code that we signed said that if you did those things, you, you would be kicked out of school. Well, we were in the last year of our school, we would lose thousands of dollars in credit hours and all kinds of, of course, reputation and respect because we were leaders on the campus, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I can remember when we went to a uh, Planned Parenthood by ourselves before we even spoke to our parents. And we came out and it was confirmed she was pregnant. And we were just sober, really sober, young kids. And... Um, I put her in her car and shut the door. And as I was walking around the back of the car, this is one of the first times ever in my life that as close to audible voice of God I heard. And God said, son, this child, hear it all the way out now, can be the joy of your repentance or the consequence of your sin. You have to choose now. I was at a crossroads. We would face loss of face, loss of respect, loss of money, loss of credit, all kinds of horrible, embarrassing moments. My wife, you know, would maybe be embarrassed. But we, I got in the car and I sat down and, I, and I'm crying. And, I said, what's, and she said, what's the matter? I said, God just spoke to me. It's what he said. And she cried and we talked. And we said, we're not, I don't care what happens, we're not going to conceal this. I don't want you to live with a scarlet letter on your chest. And everybody go, oh, that's that couple. They had great potential, but yeah, they messed up. Sin. Committed adultery. Well, it's not adultery, but they had, they had you know, sex out of marriage. And they're that couple. And I didn't want you to live like that. And, and we looked at you know, our parents and what they're going to say and the church and what they're going to say. And my dad was the pastor of this church. And we decided we we're going to come clean. So we told everybody. We told our friends. We told our RAs. We told the deans. The, the, the deans told us, don't say anything. You need to finish the semester, transfer out so you don't lose your credits, you don't lose your educational benefits, and you can get married, and then you can come back later and graduate later, but you, you'll get kicked out. It's, you don't want to do that. You don't want to do that. And we talked to our parents, and, and, and we, 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 I remember my father saying, mercy triumphs over judgment. He 
He said, so you, 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 you're more likely to get mercy if you come clean, son. But if you don't, you're going fa to face even greater judgment. And we said, thank you. And we decided we're going to do it. And so we told, we told our deans. And, and the deans went to the provost because they're obligated to do so. And the provost kicked us out of school. And we were packing. We're getting ready to go. And we were notified while we're getting ready to leave. It's over. Game over. But the deans appealed that decision. They went over, the provost said, to the president of the university. And the president of the university heard that we would confess instead of conceal it, which was so uncommon. And he overturned the decision. And he said, as long as they, you know, get married, as long as they finish strong, uh, we're going to put them in a nice apartment off campus. And, and I want them to graduate. God is a God of a second chance. He's a God of mercy. And listen, 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 listen. Hold on, hold on, hold on. My son is the joy of my repentance. You can stand to your feet. I want to pray for you. I want to tell you something. Don't conceal it. Whatever it is, confess and be blessed. There's nothing more valuable. We left, even though we were being kicked out of school, we felt right inside. We weren't walking around with shame because we know we were forgiven by God and we confessed our sin and he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I don't live or need to live for the approval of man and you don't either. You live first for the approval of God. But when you live first for the approval of God, he will work things out where you can get favor with God and man. There's nothing more powerful than a clear conscience. But it's only possible if you are willing to confess. Proverbs 28, 13 says, Whoever conceals their sin does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them always finds mercy. Would you bow your heads as I pray for you? You might be here today. And you're holding something. I don't know what it is. And I'm not here to scare you. I, 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 I'm, I'm here to just beg you and implore you. You cannot run from that. There's, there's, you cannot control it. You cannot manage it. You cannot avoid it. And it's destroying your relationship with God and with others. It's destroying you from the inside out. It's like grubs in a lawn. You can't see it, but it's taking over your lawn of your life. Confess. Not just to God, but definitely to Him. If you confess your sin, 1 John 1, 9, He will forgive your sin. But to get over it, tell somebody else. And if you've offended somebody else or done wrong to somebody else, you need to go to that person. Think it through. Be wise in how you do that. Don't do it so just you feel better. Do it because it's the right thing to do. Maybe you need to seek counsel on that to know even how to do that and do that well. But I'm just telling you, confess and do not conceal. If you're here today and you're not in relationship with God and you want to be, that starts with confession too. The Bible says, Confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart 
and you will be saved. Romans 10, 9 and 10. So you can't just say, I believe in God. You need to confess it. You can't just say, I confess. You need to believe it. They are hand in glove. If you're here today and you've never confessed Jesus as your Savior and as your Lord, and you want to make sure you walk out of here today with the most important relationship, and you're willing to say, I'm a sinner, and I need to be saved, and I want to confess my sins to God and get right with him, if that's you, not embarrass you, I'm not going to call you down front, but I want you to raise your hand good and high and say, that's me. Pray for me. I want to know you. Good and high. Don't, don't miss this opportunity. God bless you all over the room, all over the room. That's awesome. That's awesome. 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 Thank you. You can put your hands down now. Church, would you pray this prayer with me? And those that raise your hand, would you pray this prayer? Sincerely say this. Say, Jesus, I invite you into my life today. I confess and I acknowledge and I believe that you are Jesus. You are my Savior. You're the Son of God. And you paid for my sins in my sinful state. And I receive the righteousness that has been given to me because of what you did by grace through faith right now. Father, I pray that you witness to them that their names are now written in the Lamb's book of life, that now angels rejoice in heaven because sinners came home, because sinners confessed and didn't conceal and try to save themselves. They let you save them. And for that, we say praise the Lord. Come on, let's all give the Lord a big hand clap all over the room. God bless you. Thank you, thank you, thank you.